0: Greetings. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Saturday night at Richmond Raceway will mark 20 years since the September 11th terrorist attacks, a tragedy that transformed the country and also had a major impact on NASCAR. The Twin Towers fell three days after the Cup Series had raced at Richmond, and it would be nearly two weeks until the green flag would wave again at Dover International Speedway. NASCAR and NBC will remember September 11th in a feature narrated by Tim Layden that will include interviews with NASCAR Vice Chairman Mike Helton and Dale Earnhardt Jr., whose victory at Dover had some referring to him as the Faith Healer of the Cup Series in 2001. Dover came barely three months after Earnhardt Jr. had won at Daytona in the first race at that track since his seven time champion father was killed on the last lap of the Daytona 500. Um,
1: This is undoubtedly one of the toughest announcements that I've ever personally had to make. Uh, But after the accident and turn four at the end of the Daytona 500, uh,
0: we've lost Dale Earnhardt. That immeasurable loss of a Hall of Fame icon made the 2001 season already exhausting for NASCAR, which spent months answering questions about its safety record. Earnhardt's crash was the fourth fatality in less than 10 months across NASCAR's top three national series, and a voluminous and unprecedented blow-by-blow account of what caused the number three's accident was released in August after six months of painstaking study. Less than a month later, the withering reverberations of Earnhardt's death still were being felt within NASCAR when September 11th struck. With complete oversight of running the day-to-day operations at NASCAR as president, Helton was at the center of both maelstroms. This special episode of the NASCAR and NBC podcast will feature the full version of a 26-minute sit-down interview with Helton in Daytona Beach, some snippets of which also are part of the September 11th feature you can watch on Saturday night's pre-race show on NBCSN and online at NBCSports.com and the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel. We'll begin the podcast with Helton explaining how taxing the 2001 season already had been for NASCAR since February 18th, 2001.
1: So after February, we we spent most of the year working, trying to figure out what happened with Dale Sr., and so it was consumed while we were running a regular season and then moving things on as we should, there was a lot of effort going on behind the scenes and trying to... We told the, the industry and the world that we would find the best answers we could, and that took us most of that season. And I think it was late August, August 23rd or somewhere in there, that we, we announced publicly, after having shared it with the industry, the, the findings of the accident in February and the best answers we could get with the best science and the best people working on it and everything. So. The whole season, in some sense, is kind of a blur at the racetrack uh, because we were doing so many things behind the scenes trying to get get that right. You know, just had completed that late August. I think the healing was going on along with the process of getting answers, but but certainly the answers, I think, helped the healing process. and In other moments in the 01 season, uh, Dale Jr. winning down here in the summer race, those types of things, I think, helped the healing process, but uh, there was a, a milestone for us to have completed that and said, "You know, here's here's all we know, here's what we know, and here's how we found out about it, and here's the scientists that helped us figure it out the best we could." And and uh, I remember the the doctors and the, the different folks that were helping us try to figure out the the engineers, the science behind it. That a lot of them used the term a perfect storm sometimes. When, when 9-11 unfolded, that, that's one of the first things that popped into my head. I said, There's, here again is another set of incredibly either connected or disconnected circumstances that led to a, a perfect storm.
0: When the first plane hit the North Tower of the World Trade Center in Manhattan, Mike Helton was in his office in Daytona Beach.
1: The office I had here then had three televisions on my right-hand side on the wall. One of them I kept on the Weather Channel. One of them I kept on a Sports Channel, and the other one I kept on a News Channel. And I was actually on the phone with a, a gentleman out of Washington D.C. and and we were talking, and he was watching. I think he was still at home, and he was watching it. And he said, "You just see what happened on TV?" And I said, "No." And so I was turning, and we we wrapped up the conversation, and I turned and put all three channels on News. and and began to watch the day unfold. My first impression, his first impression was, "Is oh my gosh, somebody accidentally hit a skyscraper in New York with an airplane, and then it didn't take long to figure out that it wasn't an accident. Shock's probably part of it, of uh, anger, when you realize that these were not accidents. And I'm not sure how to exactly put it into words, but sometimes <clears throat> you, you see things that just seem like they're not possible you see it unfold and say well that that couldn't have happened that that's that's not real what a, you know it, it, it's it's surreal that you even saw something like that and then as they start covering it and, and they validate the authenticity of it <clears throat> and you realize what you saw was real then i think that's when the the shock gets deeper the anger gets deeper and and that day had a lot of that going on
0: helton relocated to nascar chairman bill france junior's office which became a quasi-command center as NASCAR's ruling family gathered information and insight about what was happening.
1: Well, and it was pretty quick. I mean, uh, uh, Bill, Jim, Brian, myself, we all kind of uh, started having one-on-one conversations, but very quickly moved to Bill Jr.'s office, and we were all there at one spot and continuing to follow the information on what happened. Uh, and then also wondering, this is, oh gosh, okay, you, you this happened in New York, this happened at the Pentagon. This happened in Pennsylvania, waiting for what happens next. And then you kind of you hear a lot of things that could have been happening and, and then they validate that no, it wasn't, that was something else. and you were kind of waiting for something else. And, and fortunately, it kind of as, as, it, it kind of wrapped up, but you're not confident that it's not over. Uh, but, but we were all in a room together talking about what was unfolding and those types of conversations before we got into the reality of, okay, now what do we do around it? The day unfolds with a lot of, a lot of unknowns. But uh, also as time goes, you, you're collecting more and more information about what happened. And the, the reality of all of that starts to sink in. And along the way, we're, we're having conversations with different team members who are watching and they call up and either because of a, a close personal relationship or a professional relationship. And then, you know, the, even the personal conversations from different people that you have relationships in the industry turn to say, okay, what are you gonna do about it? And I said, well, we'll we'll wait and we'll, we'll, we'll have to figure that out type thing. So as the day goes on, you begin to shift from the the hurt and anger of what happened to, okay, we're, we're NASCAR, so we've got to make decisions.
0: Before worrying about the upcoming race weekends at New Hampshire Motor Speedway in Dover, the primary focus was taking care of NASCAR industry members scattered around the country on that fateful Tuesday.
1: And along the way, we're talking to different people in the industry, almost And, you know, you find that there's one team, I think they were in Kansas testing, and they were watching it unfold. And then we had a group of officials in Richmond, Virginia, that stayed over after the Richmond race before they went to New Hampshire in Richmond to work on the rule book for 2002, which which was usual for us back then to take a moment in that August, September window to work on next year's rule book. So that was all organized after Richmond. And I'd stayed up for a day or so and then came on back to Daytona Monday night. And so we had a group in Richmond at a hotel working on the rule book. And I called them up and I said, hey, you guys may need to turn on the TV because you know, you're know you not far from DC and you know keep an eye on things. And, and then the, the federal government starts making decisions about ground and air traffic. Uh, so the guys in Kansas, are going to have to figure out how to wrap up out there and 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 drive back to Charlotte, and our officials in Richmond are going to have to figure out. Because I was going to stop and pick up a lot of them on the way to New Hampshire. But the 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 spirit of what you were doing, either if it was I think teams testing or us working on rule books, you, the air kind of come out of that. You you said, all right, we can we can worry about this later. There's there's now something more important going on that we. We just don't have the heart to pay attention to what we're supposed to be doing. So, And, and, and I think that was kind of universal That inside our industry, I know it was, but I think it was universal just talking to friends and family members that's not in the sport.
0: Then the attention turned to what would happen with competition, requiring conversations with the upcoming racetrack promoters, Bob and Gary Baer at New Hampshire and Dennis McGlynn at Dover
1: so you kind of you, you kind of step back from what you were going to do that day to to evaluate what's going on and and then we got to a point and and you know, we pick up the phone call gary and bob bear and obviously they were interested uh, different promoters would call um Dennis McGlynn, he, he called up from Dover. And a lot of them were inquisitive conversations, the ones that we may have called up. He says, you know, what do you know? You know, Here's what we know, what do you know? And what do you think? And, and so we spent a lot of Tuesday talking internally, but I think more of Tuesday we spent talking to different people in the industry. And, and then you, you kind of get a read from their thinking, You know, whether it's a driver or a, a car owner or a crew member, crew chief, or track operator. The next one up with the Bear family in New Hampshire, and so those conversations were more constant, and they turned more from you know, oh my God, what the world is going to happen or what has happened, and to okay, what do we do? I think they already had campers on the property for the weekend, and but they they everybody got the gist of the magnitude of what 9/11 was all about, and. And so Gary and Bob said, look, you all decide what you want to do and we'll do whatever you tell us to do. So then when you start evaluating the emotions of 9-11 and all the ones that went with it, hurt, anger, fear, all those, that, that, was, that was one, that's a, that's, a, that's a, you know, that might have been the least of the complicated parts to deal with. Uh, but it was a huge, it was way different than, than losing a driver at a racetrack, but, which is complicated and, and difficult for us in the industry. Um, this this was at a whole other level of, of hurt and anger. and But then it becomes the logistics of it all. So you you got to think, okay, this is NASCAR, and we rebound, and we go, and we march on. And we had people in the industry that had that attitude around it. But most of the industry felt like, hey, this is... Way too big. Uh, I don't. I don't have it in me to do it. I don't. You know, and I don't think my guys have it in them, or my my group has it in them. So we're evaluating that tide all day long. But uh, then when you start putting the pragmatic pieces to the logistics of uh, aviation being grounded, not knowing what interstate systems, or particularly since we're going from the southeast. Uh, through Washington, D.C., through New York City or close by to get to New Hampshire. You don't know what those logistics are going to be like, and then you're keeping an eye on other sports leagues and other entertainment, you know, just, just entertainment uh, in general. And so now you're starting making decisions around logistics uh, more than more than, well, I won't say more than the emotions, but the logistics are starting to play a bigger role in all that decision-making.
0: By the time September 11th was over, It became evident that NASCAR would be taking a break from racing that weekend at New Hampshire.
1: I think by the end of Tuesday, we were kind of resolved with, uh, you know, look, if we do New Hampshire, it's going to be a challenge emotionally and physically. And then everybody said, all right, let's sleep on it, and then we'll get together first thing Wednesday morning. But by then, I think everybody had resolved that, okay, we're not going to do this in New Hampshire. So we had to work through the logistics of that conversation with Gary and Bob, and it impacted a lot of ticket holders that had maybe already been there or certainly planned to go to New Hampshire. But 9-11 was a different, just a whole different magnitude that, that had such a huge impact on everybody. So I think the, the spirit around figuring it out was, was good on everybody's part. So, uh, but we had a lot of logistics around New Hampshire unplugging it. And then we had to say, okay, if we don't run here, do we not run it? Do we run it? And we had a full schedule all the way through to Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, So you had to figure out when that race was going to take place, if it were going to take place. And then you start thinking past all of that to where, okay, if we're not going to run this weekend, when do we run again type thing. So there was even, there could have been doubt on Tuesday or Wednesday about Dover the following weekend because it's proximity to, to D.C. and and, in those areas, but the first one was to, to unplug New Hampshire.
0: NASCAR wasn't the only sports entity to make the call to postpone. The first to do so was the NFL, which once had played on the Sunday after President John F. Kennedy's assassination on November 22nd, 1963. That heavily criticized decision loomed in the background nearly 38 years later, as virtually every pro sports league in America Announced it was on an indefinite hold, beginning September 12, 2001.
1: Again, I go back to the the magnitude of 9/11 in my lifetime, and I, I I was around when Kennedy got shot, but I wasn't old enough to have to make decisions on anything. But that was that was the the whole country mourned that together. I think 9/11 was even a higher level of hurt to the American spirit, and I think. We all collectively mourned and were angry over what happened to the point to where what we did in sports or entertainment wasn't important. Us being respectful, paying tribute to what the families that were impacted that day, the first responders, the people in the buildings, the Pentagon, the airplanes, that, was, that trumped everything that, the, the, that we would think about in our world. And I think that was the general consensus throughout the sports industry at least, and, and even some of the music concerts and different things that were scheduled. I think everybody was of the same mindset. I think we began to be more confident about Dover even before we got to the weekend. It was eerie still because no airplanes flying and the skies being dark and everything. So there was still that somberness of what had happened and everything. But I think the American spirit start to kick in and say, we we need something. We need a rallying point, whether it's a baseball game or a college game or a race. We need, I think all of our fans and our population was telling us that we need to go do something together. We need to go not celebrate the event, but be able to come out and, and, and say we're back and, and we, or, we're gonna figure this out. We're, it took a long time and if we ever get back, I don't know. But I think our, our fans and other sports fans and the population in general just wanted uh, something to start the process of feeling like it's, we can do something again.
0: The September 23rd race at Dover became the return. Though not without concerns about security, That was grounded in the track's proximity to a prominent nearby Air Force base, as well as Washington, D.C., where the Pentagon remained heavily damaged by one of the planes hijacked on September 11th. With a sellout crowd of roughly 150,000 still expected at Dover International Speedway, discussions ensued about a new level of security protocols.
1: Yeah, There there was a a lot of dialogue about, okay, do you bring the whole because I think he was sold out at that race. And if not, by the time we started having the conversations, it, it filled up pretty quickly once we said we were going to go back. And and so, okay, now are we capable of hosting a crowd like that? How do we do it safely, securely, the best we can do? So we, we, we had to change up some protocols. That was the first race where fans got scanned. That's a, You couldn't bring a, a cooler or a bag in but they were all willing the fans were all okay with that they said all right we got it we just want to we want to come together and they were they were very flexible and very understanding of all that and then the security around the track had to be turned up quite a bit and and there's different milestones along the way where we've learned how to do things better and that certainly was one of them that we very quickly there was a little bit of, of fear around coming back 150,000 people in a grandstand? Is that another target? Is, you know, what, and, and the proximity of all that happened on 9-11. Uh, so there was, a, there was a host of things that, that we talked about, ran through our heads. and But this is, this is not just a NASCAR spirit, I think this is America's spirit, as you figure out how to do that. And we did, in a, in a pretty quick order. I've known Dennis for a long time and I know his spirit and I know his patriotic beliefs and I think his fans were of that same thought process as we put the weekend together. They were quick to tell Dennis and us that that's the right thing to do. Let us come back. We want to we want to be there. We want to we want to come together and and tell the world that we're very sorry for the for the families that were impacted about what happened, and we're, we're angry over what happened, but this is America, and we want to come together and stand together, and celebrate something together. It, it's it's, it, and after all my years in this sport, I'm just so amazed and honored to be part of a community that has not just the resiliency, but the the it's organic how each team thinks about. All right. This is what I'm going to do. My car is going to look like this. My driver's uniform is going to look like this. In and in, a, in just a matter of days, you know, they they presented NASCAR in a way in Dover that made our entire industry very proudly. But they do the each individual one of them do it organically. It's not like they said, okay, you know, NASCAR didn't call up and say, all right, you you paint your car like an American flag, you paint your car like this, and you know, Cal Ripken is going to be there, it's his race, and you know, so we didn't, that all was organic. I mean, these, these teams think like that, and so everything that unfolded in Dover, the teams chipped in on it just, just organically.
0: By procuring 150,000 miniature American flags to distribute through the packed grandstands, Dover President Dennis McGlynn and his staff also ensured a remarkable display of patriotism.
1: So Dennis, Dennis said, I'm going to get flags. Is it okay if I hand them out? And I said, "That you know, as long as somebody tells us we can't do it, I said, I think it'd be great. And, and uh, in those days, I think M B A was part of, of the Dover. And, and Dave Elgina. I remember Dennis said that he started calling up people. And, and, you know, the whole world was shook by this deal. And so he was calling trying to find that many flags because they kind of wanted to do it. And, and Dennis liked the idea, and we liked the idea some of the funny stories where he called and whoever he was talking to thought it was some kind of a prank or something, you know, and said, well, I don't think I've got them. And he said, he found them. Somehow they came up with them and was a, a great success. Uh, uh, the fan being, they they not only were part of the event as a fan, they now become part of the event as the tributes. And then we've done them a lot since then, but that, that might have been the first time I've ever seen. I know some tracks have done cards and different things, but it's, uh, it, it was amazing how the energy just kind of created all of those moments that, that you look back now and, and you feel really good about. And now please
2: remain standing for our national anthem by Miss Tanya Tucker. Oh, see, can you see
1: sung the whole national anthem with Tanya Tucker and you couldn't you couldn't write a script to have that come together like that you can put the pieces in there and see what happens but all of that it, it was almost as if we were shooting a movie about patriotism but it, it was it just unfolded but the, the, the elements of it um, you know and, and the the heartfelt hurt for the people that were impacted by 9-11. The first responders that got caught up in it and and made their commitments to be who they are. And then it was kind of obvious that our military was going to play a role in this at some point. And so I think that's what made Dover maybe the the appropriate moment, place, geographically, but, but also gave us the ability to bring back all of the energy that existed in NASCAR anyway, and turn that into a, a tribute to everybody that was hurting from
0: 9-11. The race also had a winner who seemed rather appropriate too. Dale Earnhardt, Jr. go, man. He's gonna lead 193 of 400 laps. The American and Checker flags out at Dover. Earnhardt Jr. wins.
2: Good to be back in a race car, and I'm glad I could be the guy to win the race, so I could carry the
1: American flag around there, and that made me feel good. So we get accused by some that we write scripts on how the race comes out and everything, which is ridiculous because we couldn't, we couldn't if we wanted to, and we don't even want to do that. But, but I think Dale Jr. winning down here in Daytona in July was therapeutic, and. It was ironic that that same set of shoulders that we were riding most of the year, including into Victory Lane at the 400 here in Daytona, was also the set of shoulders that gave our entire industry that winning moment in Dover. I Just it, 2001 was was as tough on Dale Jr. as it was in anybody I know in the industry, and and for him to step up and and play his role the way he did and and do the things he accomplished and we've talked about him and and he and I both there's things that we can't remember but there's a lot of things that are big moments that that it's it's special and him winning that race was 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 pretty special so post-race it was I went and found Dennis McGlynn and hugged him because we we had figured it out you know we 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 did it. All the parts and pieces that had to be decisions made around and, and then orchestrate and all of it coming together. And then I went and found Dale Jr. and hugged him <laughs> because uh, those were the two characters, I think, that bookend everybody else's involvement in making uh, that event work. Now, we've, we were still nervous. Uh, we were still had some fear. Of what was going to happen next in the country, um, but having completed that weekend and putting that, putting the wind kind of back up underneath us, uh, was was a was a good moment and it felt good. But you instantly had to start thinking about okay, we pulled this off. We we got this done. Everybody came together to get this done, uh, and it it was it was feel good. For, for everybody in the industry and people that were watching it, but now we gotta we gotta keep going, and so there you know you leave with feeling really good about how that weekend worked, but there was still a little bit of, of fear about can we keep doing this and everything's gonna be okay because I know our country kept, still felt pretty fragile there for a while and and we were we were the same way.
0: Thanks for listening to this special edition of the NASCAR and NBC podcast. We appreciate NASCAR Vice Chairman Mike Helton for sitting down with us to recall the impact of September 11th on NASCAR. And thanks to Steph Harris of NASCAR PR for helping coordinate the interview. Thanks as well to NBC Sports producer Joel Madak, whose work on the September 11th tribute feature you again can catch both online at NBCSports.com or the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel or during Saturday night's Cup pre-race show on NBCSN from Richmond, coverage starts at 6:30 p.m. Eastern. The NASCAR NBC podcast is available wherever you download podcasts. Please leave us a rating and review to help spread the word. And any feedback you can send to me on Twitter at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast.